You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Father, thank you this morning or this evening. And Father, we ask that you would minister to our hearts, that you would minister to our spiritual mindset, and Father, you would renew us and help us, Lord, to understand your word to a degree that we can effectively have our faith work in every area in our lives. Father, whether it's for healing, whether it's for provision, whether it's just for an opportunity that you need. Father, I thank you for this, and I give you praise for opening doors. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone will be saved and set free in the name of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Turn to a few people and say you still look wonderful tonight. And you can go ahead and be seated. Praise God. Tonight, I'm going to be ministering to you. Can you turn me down a little bit? Because I'll probably get a little loud. The topic of maximizing your reward. Now, when I say maximizing reward, what I'm talking about is this. I always preach a message that deals with seeking God's excellence, seeking God's best. And the reason why I do that is because of the price that Jesus paid for our redemption and salvation. When you think about the price that he paid for it, you, you want to get your faith's worth, or we might say it this way if we were dealing with money. You want to get your money's worth out of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't want to get to heaven and talk to the Lord and say, you know, you could have had this and this and this, but because you didn't stretch your faith, this is how you lived and this is what your life was like. I don't want to do that. In fact, this is taught throughout Scripture. I'll give you a couple of references. Psalms 103, verse 2, David said this. He said, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that's within me. And then he said, forget not all, say all. That means he wanted them to remember all the benefits, not just the one that you needed today, but all of them. Amen? So that you wouldn't go through life. In fact, the Apostle John said this in 3 John, verse 8. He said, look to yourself in order that you would receive a full reward. Say full reward. Well, a full reward would imply that there's a partial reward or a, a reward that's half or whatever. And so we want to, as Christians, get the full reward of following God in this life. How many with me? Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to examine the fourth chapter of Hebrews. I'm going to show you what it means to enter the rest of the Lord from a grace perspective as well as a faith perspective. And if you, if you get tonight what I'm preaching, your faith will always win at what you believe for. It'll never fail if you believe the way that I'm talking about tonight. Amen? So look with me over the book of Hebrews. We're not going to read the whole chapter we're going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to read a few at the end, and then I'm going to summarize, okay? It says this, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, that as he said, so I swore in my wrath, and they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, going down a little bit farther to, I believe it is verse 9 or whatever. There we go. Notice this. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works, as God did from his, 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now, the rest, what is the rest he's talking about in this particular passage? He's talking about resting in God's provision. And it's really important because the way that he describes this. First of all, he does this. He says, okay, this rest is a rest that obviously is still available because you see it all through not only the time of Joshua, but it went on and went on, time of David. This rest, so obviously it's still available to us. And the rest he's talking about is God's provision, but what's unique is he says this. He says it's similar to when God created creation and he rested on the seventh day, or some of the translations say the Sabbath. So it's called a Sabbath rest. And then to make matters even more confusing, he says, when God rested, he ceased to do any more work. And, he, and then he says, I want you to do the same thing to enter that rest. What does he mean? He means simply this, that the rest is talking about the finished plan that God provided for the believer when he created creation. In other words, the gospel, sending Jesus, all of that was predetermined and planned when creation was made. That's why in the Bible it says things like this. It says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God anticipated every problem that you and I would have, whether in a marriage, whether in your finances, whether in your health, whether in your career, whatever it may be, your problems may be. God anticipated that in the beginning when he created creation. So when he rested on that seventh day, he had already anticipated man would fall, already anticipated you'd need salvation, already anticipated that you would need a savior, and already had planned for his son to come into the world and save us. That, that's why you see things like this in Genesis. In Genesis, it says when God created creation, in every tree was seed. In everything that was created, there was seed. In other words, what he created in the, the beginning, that masterpiece, had everything that it would ever need as long as the world existed. There's never been a new tree made. Everything that trees need was made at the beginning and continues to continues and continues and continues. And it's like life on earth. Human beings, the seed is in, in, in the man. And, and, and it just generates and procreates and procreates and procreates. And so the writer is saying this rest is you are resting in God's predetermined promises and provision. And when you use your faith, you enter into it. And instead of trying to work to get me to move, you enter in what I've already provided for you. In other words, I want you to cease from trying to get me to move, and I want you to just enter in what I have already provided for you in Christ Jesus. That's exactly why in the Scriptures it says all things have already been given to us that pertain to godliness and life, everything that you might need. So when you're in faith, you have to be diligent in your faith. In this sense, 
God, you've already provided for me the healing that I need. Well, God, you've already provided me the provision that I need. God, you've already thought of what I might need here. So I receive it by faith, and now I diligently resist or I defend anything that would try to come in, or I don't defend it, but I push away anything that would try to suffocate or bring doubt in my life concerning the provision that you have given to me in Christ Jesus. And he tells us in so many words that you don't want to be like the first generation that didn't receive a full, full reward. They could have moved into a land that was prepared for, the Lord, from them, for them, a land that flowed with milk and honey. Instead, they died in the wilderness. And I love some of the translations. It says, you need to be concerned that you are not in this kind of camp. That you're a person that says, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe for God's best in my life. And so I'm going to enter that rest. God's already planned it for me. I don't have to do anything right now that will cause God to do anything. All I need to do is to respond, now catch this, to what he's already done. You respond to the fact that he sent Christ in the world to die for you. You respond to the fact that everything that you need, the Holy Spirit has already provided it for you already. I'm not doing anything to get God to initiate anything. He's already initiated my healing. He's already initiated my forgiveness. He's already initiated my success. He's already initiated. Oh, God, glory to God. You see that? That's what entering the rest is. It's not just materially. It's entering to this supernatural provision that will meet your needs, that will heal your body, that will bless you coming and going in Christ Jesus. I, one of the things I don't want to do, I don't want to see Jesus come back and regret what he says to me. I don't want him to say, you know, you know that problem that you had for all those years? You didn't have to have that problem. I planned from the foundation of the world deliverance from that problem. You never entered in my rest in that area. And now you've lost it. Say amen. Now, I can testify to some of this my own life. When the Lord healed me of allergies that I had all my life taking allergy shots every week. And imagine if I hadn't believed God, I would live and die with those stupid allergies, getting shots, not being able to do what I want to do, not being able to be in certain areas because of this or that. And I would have died not receiving the full reward that I could have had if I'd simply believed God for his word concerning that instead of living with the problem. I'm here to tell you tonight that your latter days are still yet to come. Your latter days, your better days are not yet here yet. I love what God told Job at the end of his trial. He said that God restored his losses. Woo! And gave him double for his trouble. And you got to understand that that verse is saying that God took Job's best days, which were before that, and doubled it. It's one thing to get blessed when you've been in trouble for years and years and years and years and years. But how, how about if you're blessed greatly, like Job was, 
And then God says, okay, I'm going to bless you double for that. In other words, I'm going to give you better than the best that you already got. I'm here to tell you tonight that God wants to give you better than the best that you have received right now, tonight. Amen. So you got a choice. You can either believe that or you can just go through life and die and you'll be in heaven and I'll appreciate you. You'll have that little shack down on the bottom of heaven and I'll have the big mansion up on top. Say amen. But I know we all desire to enter that rest, but how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you enter the rest? I don't know about you, I get kind of frustrated at the world and everything that I hear on the news, it's very frustrating. But here's how you do it, and here's the key to this. When I got saved, the reason why I got saved is because I responded to God's calling in my life. There's a verse over Romans chapter 3. It says this, there's none righteous. There's none that seek God. Now, why is that there, that section? Because it tells us that God's the only one that gets the glory. Because he's the one that initiated your salvation. You didn't wake up one morning and just say, I'm going to get saved tonight. That's not the way it worked. God was drawing you. God was initiating it. And as you respond to his initiation then the Holy Spirit changes you and transforms you in your life. That's what causes faith to work is when we respond to his leading, we respond to the Holy Spirit leading us and directing us in our lives. And you say, well, pastor, I prayed about things and God has not moved in those areas. What do I do there? What you do is you take what God has already done and you meditate on it until it becomes alive to you. In other words, he gave us his word. I was healed of allergies, not because an angel appeared to me. Not because a prophetic word spoke to me about it. No, because I looked in the Bible and I began to study on divine healing. Is that I began to study on divine healing. I kept believing according to his word. I meditated on, meditated on, meditated until it became alive to me. Because that word that God spoke, he's already initiated. By his stripes we were healed. Himself took up my infirmities and bore away my sicknesses. Praise God. He's already initiated it. What I got to do is I got to get that verse alive inside of me. And if it comes alive inside of me, I can enter in the rest in that area and receive the deliverance that I need in my life. Hallelujah. And, and you know, outside of healing, not everybody's sick. But outside of healing, there's all kinds of things that we need. We need uh, family issues. We need opportunities. We need to fill empty spots in our lives. We need to have purpose. All those things God will bring to pass because he's already planned for it, knew you need it before you needed it. He knew it from the foundation of the world, every sin that you would commit. Now, here's a clincher. Listen to this. When God heals us, which he did on the cross of every sickness and disease. In the same way that he has provided healing for every infirmity in your life is the same way that God provided forgiveness for every sin in your life. He didn't miss out on one thing that you might screw up in. That's the nature of God, that God doesn't just save us from some things, 
He saves us from everything. And before you were ever born, God made up the plan. God provided the resources. That's why you see in the Garden of Eden, you see him prophesying about Jesus. Why? He already decided what's going to happen. He's already decided how he's going to rescue man when man messes up. He already anticipated that you would mess up and fall. But he provided Christ. And when we enter that rest, whoo, man, it's good. It's so good. Did you know in creation there's nothing new? Ecclesiastes 1.9 says there's nothing new under the sun. There's never been a tree that has been created out of nothing. It came from a tree that's billions of years ago, or not billions, but thousands of years ago. There is no, there is no creation that is new except the new birth. Everything else is procreating. It's creating. People are worried about running out of oil. It's a bunch of cra- it's, I mean, it's crap. It's, it's just it's not going to happen. God foresaw every need that we would have. This earth has all the resources it needs and keeps producing more and more resources. And we will never, ever, 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 as long as we're on this earth, run out of sources. Because when God created creation, he didn't go, oops, I didn't make it big enough. I didn't put enough supplies there. Oh, there's not enough oil. Oh, there's not enough gas. He didn't do that. He's bigger and smarter than that. Amen. Amen. And he knew we'd screw up the he knew we'd screw up the air. He knew that. He knew we'd create pollution. But he wasn't he knew he anticipated that. But it's not going to destroy the earth. It's not going to destroy mankind. That's not going to happen. It's just a bunch of whatever. And what I want you to understand is this. He knows what you need before you needed it. That's why in Matthew, Jesus says that God knows what you need before you ask. Why? Because from the foundation of the world, he anticipated everything that could go wrong and everything that could go right. And he made the plan there. And he rested in it. So I can go to God in prayer and I can receive from him what he knew I would need when the earth was created. I can enter that rest and realize I don't have to do something to get God to move. He's already moved. In fact, God won't move by something you do. The only thing that God responds to is when he's moved in your life and you respond to that. You you take the, the woman with the issue of blood. We say, well, she kept saying, if I just say, Ms. Garment, I shall be healed. We forget what happened before that. She heard about Jesus. What did she hear? The only sermon that he preached. And that was a sermon that had been anointed by God to, to set free those that are captives. She heard that faith came, and she responded to the divine and said, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. If I just touch him, I'll be healed. And the power of God came out and healed her. But if Jesus, or how about Barnabas? Think about Barnabas. Barnabas, well, Barnabas moved God. No, he didn't. Barnabas started crying out when Jesus came by. If Jesus hadn't come by, it would have made any difference. Jesus was going by that direction. It's because of God's initiation that Barnabas responded. And he responded in faith. And as he responded in faith, God then responds in healing and deliverance in your life. Faith is never a problem 
when God has initiated whatever you're praying about. Amen. It's only a problem when we try to do things to move God. God is not impressed with you fasting unless he led you to fast. He's not impressed with how much you work for him. He's only impressed if you're responding to the grace of God that he put within you. So if you work around the clock and say, uh, you know, I labor more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me, then God's impressed. But he's never impressed just by burning out. Hallelujah. How has God touched you? He's called you. He spoke to you. He, he has revealed himself to you. And you are seeking him now because of that. That's how you enter his rest. It isn't, well, if I confess this a thousand times, I'll get healed. You've got to respond to his word. You've got to respond to the spirit you got to respond to him speaking to you in that still, small voice. you got to respond to him in that way. And when you do, your faith never fails. It succeeds every time. Let me say this to you. There's a man-made religion that is made from man. Man tries to do something to get God to move. And then there's a God-made religion. Religion is a reaching up to God. But the gospel is God reaching down to us. You see the difference? It's God moving in our life. It's God sending his son into the world. Did you know that God didn't send Jesus into the world because everybody in the world was crying out for a savior? Romans is very clear about it. It says that we were dead in trespass and sin, which means we didn't even know we needed a savior. That's when God decided that he was going to send a Jesus into the world. Before there was ever a fallen man, he decided to do it. He initiates everything in your life. Now, here's the clincher to this. That means that every need in your life, every one of them, wow, whether it's relief from fatigue, anxiety, depression, or whether it's a big financial need, or whether it's a relationship need, whatever it is, God knew it when he created creation. And he provided and took everything to work in line to meet that need. But see, a lot of us, we, we, we don't obey God, so we're not like Abraham, and we don't get up on the top of the mountain and find the ram. But God sent the ram just in case you would obey him. He provides everything. That means there is divine healing within the born-again believer. Hallelujah. The, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us. So whatever you're ailing in, don't get discouraged and get bummed out because you don't feel good. Just go to the word in prayer. Find the verses on it. Meditate on it. Till it becomes alive. Become one with it. And that life that is in that word will raise you up. Enter that rest. Enter that rest. See, God didn't create creation and go, whoops, I should have made a bigger mall. <laughs> or whoops, I should have, you know, given him this invention. No, he didn't do that. It was all anticipated in the beginning 
He knew everything. That's why the writer in Hebrews uses entering his rest and connects it to God resting on the seventh day from his work. Hallelujah. Someone described it this way. Before the foundation of the world, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together. And the Father said, I'm going to need someone to save mankind because they're eventually going to sin and die spiritually. And Satan's going to find dominion on this earth. So I need someone that will go down here and put on flesh to save mankind. Jesus says, okay, I'll take the job. Before anything was created. Hallelujah. You think you got a problem that's, that shakes God up? Oh, I didn't know I was going to do that. I didn't know. Oh, no. I, caught me by surprise. No way. God has every need that we need in our lives already provided for. Here, here's the way to look at it. We respond to him when he moves in our lives, whether it's in the word or personal direction. We respond to it. Faith always works. And then we diligently defend what we have received. So I diligently defend the doubt that would try to come in and say that it isn't going to work, even though God has made it clear in the word that it will work. I diligently defend the fact that, oh, my latter days are really not going to be the better than my former days. It looks like I'm going to end up in a very bad situation. So I, di so I diligently defend the fact, no, I'm going to leave it in here to my children's children because a good man does. I'm not going to die broke. I'm going to die with lots of money to give to my family so they never have to be concerned about it again. Say amen. If you want to die broke, go ahead. I'm not going to do that because I have a family that I want. I want them to start out where I didn't start out. Say amen. And that's scriptural. So you have to defend that or you have to defend the fact I'm not going to die crippled and, and messed up in my life. I'm not going to die, uh, you know, of suffering this all my life. I'm not going to do that. Bible said that he forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. Bible said with long life he will satisfy me. So I'm not satisfied. So that means that God's going to have to keep me going. you got to defend that. In your thoughts, casting out every imagination, every thought, every high thing that comes in your thought life, cast that down, cast it down, cast it down. That's the part that we do is we defend our thought life so that God's will can purposely be released in our lives and we can be blessed. In other words, we're winning from a winner's perspective, not a loser's perspective. How many remember when you were a kid, we used to do this king of the hill. We'd find an old sand hill somewhere. Get up, someone get on the top of the hill. And uh, the objective was you tried to get up at the top. And the guy on top, it was easy for him to knock you down because he's on top. You're on top. You're not trying to climb up the hill. You're on the top of the hill. Did you hear me? You're on the top of the hill. I'm not trying to get down the hill. I'm on the top of the hill. It's like in a military uh, uh, war, uh, it's hard to take a hill. Once it's taken, it's easier to hold. Our faith, and this used to fascinate me for years, because I would study in the book of Ephesians about the armor of God that Paul talked about. And he said, when you've done everything you're supposed to do, then stand. And I'm thinking, why would he say stand? I don't want to stand. I want to move forward. Because he was talking about defending whatever it is that you, re that you used your faith on. Defending it against the doubt and unbelief. 
defending it against the fear, defending it against the offense, defending it against all the thoughts and ideas that would try to, to get into your mind and create doubt so that you would give up on that dream. That's what he meant. Defend it. Now, I'm very offensive. I like aggressiveness. But aggression is great if you're defending. But we don't do something to get on top of things. We don't do things to be successful. We're already successful fighting the enemy that's trying to convince us that we don't have that victory, that we can't do what God told us to do. We're on the top of the hill, not on the bottom. Amen? Say, say to your neighbor, I'm on the top of the hill. I'm not on the bottom. I'm way up there. I love it, praise God. And let me just say this, and I, I, I've been meditating about this quite a bit. You know, the latter days, the way that people teach it in the church, they, they only teach the dark side. They never teach the, the good side. If you look in Scripture, the latter days always refer to one of the highest levels of blessings that you would ever receive. In other words, in the latter days, the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. Woo! In the latter days, the treasures that are hidden in darkness belong to us. In the latter days. In the latter days, we learn this, that God will restore all things. In the latter days, God restores your losses and you're experiencing the increase in your life from the trials and the difficulties that you've been going through. So I'm telling you, there's some negative things in the latter days, but your faith focuses in on the positive things. Now, there'll be big battles, but we're going to get more back. There's going to be great battles, but we're going to win more ground. There's going to be big battles, but I'm going to have the joy of the Lord higher than I was before, praise God. In the latter days, I'm going to sing and dance. In the latter days, go to clap to the Lord. In the latter days. Hallelujah. And I believe you need that perspective to win in life. In other words, we're coming out of the gate as winners. We're not waiting to win. We start as winners and fight off all the voices and all the things that tell us we're losers. And if we can defend our faith, our faith will always get the last laugh. And we're going to come through with a great blessing. Everyone love Jesus said amen. Praise God. All right, look at this verse with me. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see something here. Now, I'm going to make a, a startling statement, but it really fits in with what we're talking about. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his foot. So, talking about Jesus. Now, this is the part I want you to see. For by one offering, say one offering, he perfected forever, say forever, those who are being sanctified. Do you understand what this means? It means when you believe on Christ, God perfects your spirit forever. Forever. Not till you next sinned, forever. For, that's an incredible statement. Paul is telling us here. Let, let me ex try to explain to you what that means. When you see the word eternal used in Scripture, people misuse it all the time. They say, well, eternal life means I'm going to live forever. No, it doesn't. That's part of what it means. Eternal life means you'll live with God forever. 
everyone lives forever. But some people will live forever separated from God in the lake of fire. So eternal life is living forever with God. And when it says that God perfected us forever, it means your human spirit, once you're born again, isn't going to become any more perfect than it is right now a million years from now. In other words, when God the Father sees your human spirit, he sees the perfection that was in his son Jesus. That's why the Bible says that we can boldly become, come before the judgment of God. Why? Because he, we can cast out every fear, every fear of punishment. Why? Because when we were born again, God made our spirits perfect in Christ Jesus, God imparted his perfect righteousness in us. And no matter what you do, you cannot change that. What we work on is the soul, our mind. We got to renew our mind. We got to save our thinking. We got to do that. But your spirit, whoo, is perfect. That's why it makes these remarkable statements. As he is, so are we in this world. He didn't say, as he is, so we are in heaven. He said, as he is, so we are in this world. Right here. When you're, you know, saying the wrong things on the freeway because you're frustrated. Your spirit is still perfect. That's what keeps a Christian from habitually sinning. His soul may go nuts. He may carnal-minded. He may have carnal actions, but inside is eating him alive because he's perfect inside. Hallelujah. I love that, praise God. Now, this, this is going to really contribute to your faith. Yeah, let's give the Lord a better hand than that. Come on, that, that's just, that's like, whoo. That's just like choo-choo-choo blessing. I love it, praise God. So, I want you to see then what we're talking about. I want you to respond to what God's already done in Christ. I want you to respond to his word. I want you to respond to what his word says. You can't enter the rest till you do that. Once you enter that rest, you're no longer trying to do something to get God to move. He's already moved. He's already done everything for you in your salvation he's ever going to do. What you got to do is respond to that, and then the manifestation of salvation starts to occur in your life in this area and that area. And this idea of initiating something and responding to it is built within the family culture. If you read the teaching on marriage in Ephesians, Paul states this. He says, that the husband is love his wife as Christ loved the church. Which means this. The husband is to be the initiator. And the wife is what? To submit to her husband as unto the Lord. Why does she have to submit? Because her, she is called the bride of Christ. The church is called a bride. Why? The church is responding to the initiation that God does in their life. In the marriage, the same way. Marriage was made as a prototype of what happens in heaven. The husband should be the initiator of romance. Is there any reason why I got so quiet right now? <laughs> he should be the initiator of vision and dreams in the home. 
He should be the initiator of, of making jo their joy full. He should be the initiator of it. And the wife, and so I would say the greatest challenges in a marriage is for the husband to be the great initiator and for the wife to submit to, the, to what he's trying to initiate. Because whether we like it or not, sometimes the husband's initiating something, but the wife doesn't feel like responding to her. Just like in the church, God moves. Well, I don't feel like doing it, Lord. I know you want me to be more committed, but I'm just not into it right now. And I definitely don't want to tithe. I can't afford that. So we have that all through the church. Whether it's forgiveness or whatever, we have this struggle with God. We don't want to respond to him the way he wants us to. And so the wife is really a great example of the way the church should be. And that is not only obeying, but a willing heart in response. You, you give me any woman, I'll, I'll guarantee you, most women, 99.9% .9 of the women will respond if the husband is the initiator and he does it out of love. Okay, moving right along here to a very, very steady pace. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. But do you see the power there? It's, it's teaching us the power of responding to what God has initiated in our lives. I've been led by the Spirit, but I have been driven by God's Word as well. When you're driven by God's Word, you study it, and God begins to show things to you in the Word. And you respond to it. That's, that's what makes faith work. No one gets healed without responding to what he initiated. It just doesn't, no one gets healed without that. You have to respond to him. So I'm always looking, searching scriptures. Lord, show me. In fact, these are called the keys of the kingdom. Remember, and you don't see this in your translation, but if you know Greek, it's perfect. And, and basically, I'm going to paraphrase what it says. When Peter said, or Jesus said, that which you have bound has already been bound in heaven. That's in the Greek, literally what it says. And that which you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, what he's saying is, heaven's already initiated it, and if you respond in like manner, that blessing that's in heaven will be released in you. Or that authority that's in heaven will be released in binding whatever you need to bind in your life. That's the keys of the kingdom. It's all about initiation and response. Are you responding? Or are you trying to do something getting God to move? I love what the Bible says. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can't taste something unless it's first made. Can't taste a cookie until it's cooked. You can't see something that doesn't exist. Everything you need already exists. It's already in the, it's already in the spirit realm. It's already there, and God will reveal it to you. That's why when you pray hard enough for something, all of a sudden you, you, your thought comes up, a vision comes up, uh, you see it for the first time. It was always God had initiated that from the very beginning. But you had to use your faith and respond to him as you were seeking him. You had to respond to him as he began to lead you in your life, and that's where the miracles and so forth come forth in your life. Let me, let me quit with this. The foundation of all success 
isn't psychology. It isn't. The foundation of all success is what God has already prepared for us. If you want to succeed in any area, build or become one with that foundation. And whatever comes at you, whatever winds of the storms come at you, whatever, whatever seas blows against you, whatever it is, you will prevail every time. Your house will not be shaken. Paul said this concerning the judgment seat of Christ. He says, no other foundation you can lay than Christ. Why? Because in Christ is everything that you needed before you needed it. And if you become one with that, whatever you're facing, you're going to be able to overcome. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.